Let me say this. Congratulations. You made it. First month of 2021 in the books. Good job. You did a great job. You're doing fantastic. Just, just, just relax. Take the pressure off. You, you, you're doing fantastic right now. And let me just make sure you understand, don't believe anything of what you see on social media about how better everybody else's lives are because everybody else is lying about their life, all right? You guys are doing fantastic, so just keep doing what you're doing. Hey, um, when I was little, we, we went to church all the time. Every time the doors were open, we were there. So I, I've, I've, I grew up hearing all the stories, grew up hearing all the, all the truths, all the lessons from Sunday school through big church where the, the old people sat. Um, and, and, and I always have this nagging questions, um, honestly, about who God is. Like, I heard all the stories. I read a lot of the Bible stuff, had it explained to me. But I always had the questions still lingering in my mind, like, yeah, but who is he? And what's it really matter? I, I, I heard the ideas that, that God knows all. And I thought, well, that's good and fine, but... Who cares if he knows if he doesn't do? I heard about how God knows about every leaf that falls from the tree. And honestly, when I was growing up, I thought, well, who cares? Like, who cares if he knows if a leaf falls from a tree? Like, I, I, part of me doubted he really did, because what does he care if it falls from the tree? And doesn't he have more important things to worry about around the universe than if a leaf falls from a tree? It just seemed like it was one of those things that church people say to make you either scared or impressed by God. And if someone needs to make you scared or impressed by God, he's probably not that big in the first place. Like he ought to be able to take care of his own self. I shouldn't have to make him sound bigger or more impressive than what he already is. And so I, it was just kind of this, net, like, what does he really know and what does it really matter? And I remember uh, we go backpacking a lot when I was growing up with my dad. It would take us backpacking. And I remember multiple times being up in the mountains and the sky so clear. And I'm so glad I had these times with my father. And we would talk about God. We'd talk about life. And I remember looking up at the stars and, and being told that, that like God hung them all and, and, and knew all the stars that were there. And it was, it was impressive. But then I thought, what else does he know? Like, if he knows all the stars, he's, that's a lot of knowledge. And so then I started thinking, well, and I was young, and I was, I was really impressed with the idea of uh, Nessie, the Loch Ness monster. And so I thought, well, maybe God knows if Nessie's true or not. That would be cool. And, 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 and I was also very enthralled with aliens. As we sat under the star, stars and looking up at the stars, I, I was just hoping and waiting I would get to see a UFO because maybe God knows about those as well. And then I heard about Chupacabra, and I was like, Wow! <laughs> Like, if he knows all this stuff, that's pretty impressive. Have you, ever, have you ever just sat back and wondered, like, who is this God and what is he like? Like, is he really that big? Does he really know everything? And if he knows everything, what does it really matter? Because unless he does something about what he knows, right? You tracking with me? In this series, we're asking this question, who is God? And looking at these attributes from what the Bible says about who God is. And some of these attributes we fully can, can, can get a, a glimpse of. Uh, they're things like love and, and mercy and grace. And we understand that because we can, 
we can feel that. We can experience that. We can emulate those in, 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 in pretty small measure compared to God, but we can get a handle on that. But some of these other attributes of God, they're so far beyond us. They're so different than us. We, we started talking about the, the omnis of God. His omnipotence means he has all power. His omnipresence, that he's always present. And this morning, this third omni I want to look at is the idea of being omniscient, where he has all knowledge. And see, these things are things we can talk about and theorize about and, and get ideas about, but we can't come close to really understanding with because we don't know what it is to have all power. We don't know what it is to be all present at all times, in all situations. We don't have any idea what it is to have all knowledge. And so some of these attributes of God are so far beyond us. All we can do is talk about them and hope to get a glimpse of who God is. So it's these attributes, these ones that are so far beyond us that make the Christ follower step back in times when all hell's breaking loose and the world's coming apart, make us step back and say, God, you are amazing. Even though it doesn't feel like it right now, if this is who you are, wow. See, all of these things kind of tie together. I don't know if you guys at home can hear, but there's some rowdy stuff going out there. <laughs> John, do me a favor. Go out there and crack some heads a little bit and in the name of Jesus with great love and mercy. But uh, I'm doing a pretty good job in here and I don't want to see your heads turning that way. And so you need to, you know, I mean, don't look at me. I'm not worth looking at. But you know, like the screen stuff is important. See, here's, here's what I know. Since God is, is omnipotent, all powerful, his, his power is purpose and is universal, which implies his omniscience. And since God, since God is omnipotent and is omniscient, it implies also then that he is omnipresent. And all of these attributes, being omnipresent, are part of who God is at all times. And all of his attributes are present at all times. His power is constant, his knowledge is constant, as is his love and his mercy and his compassion and his grace. See, another attribute of God that I won't talk about today, but I just want to introduce is the idea that God is simple. Not simplistic, but simple. And the attribute of simplicity when it's attached to God means that his attributes are not separate parts of him. He's simply whole. So at all times, is he powerful? At all times, is he fully present? At all times, is he fully knowledgeable? If they're not separate aspects of who God is, they are, it's simply who God is. In other words, one of his attributes is his wrath, that he must punish sin and wrongdoing. Yet at the same time, one of his attributes is love and compassion and mercy and grace. And they're both fully present at all times. He's simple. He's profound. The theological term, the, the, the doctrinal term that we talk about in all this stuff is sovereignty or lordship. Lordship means literally his complete control and presence and authority. That's lordship. So anytime we talk about the lordship of Christ, we're talking about these omnipotent issues and his omnipresent issues and omniscient issues. That's what it is to be lordship. We talk about these omnis. We're talking about a sovereignty. And this is what it is to be God. 
God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. And what it means to follow this God is, is much more than wearing a crucifix. It's much more than just coming to church. It's much more than just trying to be a good person. It's much more than being religious. It's much more. When you think about who this God is, it's much more. See, this idea of omniscience is knowing all truth and believing nothing false congruently in all past, present, and future at the same time. What it means for God to be omniscient is knowing all truth and believing nothing false congruently, past, present, and future at all times. See, before the beginning began, all the information in the universe was deposited there by God. So God doesn't just know all things by discovering all things. God knows all things because he deposited the knowledge of all things into all things. Do you understand? Really? <laughs> so what does God say about himself? Biblical omniscience means this. That God knows all things without having to experience all things. He doesn't have to have the experience of all things in order to know all things. See, there are some who would, who would disagree with the idea that God is omniscient. And they would say that God cannot be omniscient and know all things because God cannot know what it is to sin. He cannot know what grief is over being a failure according to his own standard. So he cannot know all things. And we have to understand that God can know all things without having to experience all things. See, knowing the idea of omniscience is knowing all knowledge. And so he doesn't have to experience all things to know all things. Matter of fact, the Bible says in the book of Hebrews that we don't have a high priest who is unable, means he is able then, to empathize with our weaknesses. But we have one who has been tempted in every way that we are tempted, just he didn't sin. And so Jesus knows what it is to be fully human. And to be fully tempted, though without ever experiencing sin. See, my knowledge of an event doesn't require me taking activity in the event. In other words, when I was little, I would know that my boys were going to lay down and take a nap. That had nothing to do with me laying down and taking a nap. Do you understand? So he can know all things without having to experience all things. Omniscience does not mean that God must experience everything he knows. See, some suggest that if God is omniscient and knows all things, that he cannot then also be morally perfect. Because the idea goes like this. If God knows all things and knows the evil that I will do and allows it to happen, he cannot be all good. Because what good, all good God, knowing evil was about to happen, would continue to allow that to happen. So either he knows all things or he is all good, but they're mutually exclusive. Some would say... The idea behind that is because God knows all future events, he must therefore then determine all future events. And if God has determined all future events, that means he has fated all future events. And if he has fated all future events, he is then therefore the ultimate cause of all evil and misfortune. Let me tell you this. God does know, but his all knowledge doesn't determine your fate. His knowledge does not determine your fate. God knows because he's outside the space-time continuum 
He sees all and knows all. But get this. Just think about this. He knows every decision you're going to make before you make it. But if you choose differently, he will know differently. I mean, think about it for a minute. You have the power to choose what God knows. Think about that. You understand? <laughs> like, you want to change God's mind right now? Do something different. <laughs> now, he knows, but he doesn't choose everything you'll do. He knows everything you'll do, but he doesn't choose everything you do. And because God is outside this space-time continuum, he's bigger than that. He can know all time, all at once. See, here's what we have to understand. God is not in the present, nor was he in the past, nor is he in the future. And he, does, he is not in the past and in the present, so he knows what the future will be. He's always present, so in God, there's no past, present, nor future. There's just God. And that's why he can know all things at all times. And Jesus... The fullness of God in human form, the second person of the Trinity, also experienced what it is as the attribute of omniscience in human form. He knew the thoughts of people without talking to them. He knew people before he knew people. He knew the woman at the well before he met her. He knew Nathaniel sitting under the tree before he ever met him. And at the same time, and this is what, this is what blows my mind about who Jesus is, at the same time, exhibiting the attributes of omniscience also chose for the sake of identifying with us as human, set aside some of those attributes. And while being omniscient in some instances, chose to set that aside in other instances. It was in Luke chapter 2 that the Bible says he grew in wisdom and stature. How does the God of all omniscience and knowledge grow in wisdom? Because Jesus in his humanity set that aside for a moment. So we can understand what it is for us. The Bible says in Hebrews 5 that he learned obedience through suffering. How does the omniscient, omnipresent, omnipotent God learn through suffering? Because he set that aside for a moment so we can understand. The Bible says in Matthew 24 that when questioned about the end of time and the end of the world, he didn't know in his humanity. See, he experienced for a moment controlled lack of knowledge so he could share fully in our nature. So God can, ex can know all things. And so he can identify with what it is to be us and have to learn to trust his father. See, omniscience is pretty comforting when you understand it. Because that thing that you're going through, he knows. Do you understand? Omniscience is covered because that thing that you're going through that nobody else knows about, he knows. And because he's outside space, because he's bigger than that, he knows not only the minutest details of your life, but he also knows the minutest details of everything else going around your life. When I was growing up, I, I, I heard the idea that God knew about all the sparrows and the birds and everything. And, 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 I, and I learned this Bible verse in Matthew chapter 10. And it says, aren't two sparrows sold for a penny? 
That means nobody really cares about sparrows. I mean, you, you buy two of them for a penny, it's no big deal, right? Yet none of them will fall to the ground outside of your father's care. And even the hairs on your head are numbered. Now, when I read a Bible verse like that, even the hairs on my head are numbered, like my brother right here. Like, who cares, right? Like, like that's not that impressive to me. Like, because some of us make it real easy on God. But the idea that God knows even the sparrows. At our house, we got these windows that go out to the backyard, big windows. And I put a little bird feeder out in a little tree outside those windows. And every once in a while, if you sit in my living room and it's daytime and it's nice outside and I got uh, food in a bird feeder, you'll hear a. I put it there just so I could hear that noise. And I'll look outside, there's a little sparrow on the ground, and then my big bulldog comes out and eats him. It's pretty funny. And I remember the first time that happened, I looked at it, and I'm like, God, you do that. See, we don't really have a problem with God's omniscience, whether he knows everything, until it comes to our own pain. Until it comes to the issue of evil in the world. Until it comes to the issue of evil at the hands of evil men perpetrated against the innocent. And then we think, well, God, if you're all know, if you're all omniscient, if you know all things, see, now I got a problem with you. Right? Nobody else has a problem with that? Here's what, here's, here's what I want you to understand. Regarding this problem of pain and evil in the world and God's omniscience, foreknowledge does not imply consent. And if you're a parent, you understand that. As a parent, you know that your kid's going to get stupid next weekend. Doesn't mean you consent. See, and because the Bible says that in God's image we are created, in the image of God he has created us, in God's image, he has endowed us with this thing called free will. And God is not willing to override the free will that he has endowed us with. And so his foreknowledge of even evil that will happen does not necessarily imply consent. God knows our choices, but he doesn't determine our futures. Do you understand? Omniscience is the idea that he knows our future, but free will means he doesn't determine it. God is the source of all information and therefore holds all knowledge. Mankind's knowledge comes through discovery. God's knowledge is self-generated. See, the Bible says it like this in the book of Job. One of Job's friends says, Do you know the clouds, how the clouds hang poised? Those wonders of him, do you know the wonders of him who has what? Perfect knowledge. In the Hebrew, when the, when, when the Bible uses that word perfect, it means literally complete or finished. God's knowledge is complete or finished. Nothing is missing from it. Now, I don't know about you, but at our home during the whole COVID thing, when everybody had to shelter in place, um, we, we, put, uh, we did a lot of puzzles. Any of you do puzzles? Do you? A few of you? Okay, so here, here's, the, here's the puzzles that we did. The puzzle we did, they were mystery puzzles. 
And what I mean by that is you put the puzzle together and there were clues then after the puzzle put together that you had to figure out by using the puzzle to figure out the clues. And then once you figure out the clues, it led you to the solving of a problem. Here's the, here's the issue I had with it. Wyatt and I were pretty good. Wyatt wasn't so much. I was pretty good at putting the puzzle together. But the things you had to solve to solve the mystery were all math stuff. So that's when Shelly and Caleb came in and did all the math stuff. Here's the problem with that whole scenario. Usually, you know the puzzle that you're putting together because you got a picture on a box, right? Well, these puzzles are so evil that the picture on the box didn't match the puzzle. Should I say, hi, we got another puzzle put together. I'm like, why would you do this? This is ridiculous. I think she did it because she and Caleb like to solve all the math problems. I mean, this is not fun stuff. But when we looked at the puzzle, we had no idea how it was going to turn out ultimately. And then we'd look at the picture that's supposed to tell us how it's turned out, and that was even different. And so based on what we thought was supposed to happen, the reality was different. Doesn't that sound like life? Like you've got a picture in your mind how it's supposed to turn out, but as it's being put together, think, well, those don't match. Here's the problem. Our puzzle pieces are missing, but God's knowledge is perfect, missing that. He sees it. When God looks at the world, his knowledge is perfect. Now, let me tell you where you and I run into a problem. Because you and I have things in our lives that make no sense. That we try to put the puzzle pieces together and try as we may, we cannot do it for all things. And so what we need is we say, God, I need to know how, and I need to know when, and I need to know why. Give me understanding. Give me knowledge. Help me figure this out. And we even come to church and ask God, God, just let me know. And here's what God does. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. Let me tell you the problem. We want knowledge. God promises us wisdom. And there's a vast difference. We want to know God, why? God, when? God, how? Let me know when. Let me know how. Let me know why. I got to know. You got to give me some answers. If I had explanation from you, I'd be okay. If I knew when from you, I'd be, if you gave me some knowledge, I'd be all right. And God says, I don't want to give you knowledge. I want to give you wisdom. We would rather ask God for knowledge than wisdom. See, this was Adam and Eve's downfall. They wanted to eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, thinking that by knowledge they would be like God and have no need. We think the same thing. We think, God, if you would just let me know how, if you would just let me know when, if you would just give me knowledge, then I would understand like you. And if I understood like you, I wouldn't have any issues. And God says, that's not the way it works. See, we want knowledge because we think if we have knowledge, we won't have need. And God is different. See, God wants to give us wisdom rather than knowledge so that without knowledge, we can exercise our free will that he's endowed us with and choose what honors him. See, if we had knowledge, 
If we knew how it was going to pan out, if we knew when God was going to show up, and then we chose to obey and honor him, where's the honor in that? But when we don't know, and in wisdom we say, God, you are God, I'm not. I'll trust you. That's honor. Right? You feel me? You tracking with me? But what do we do? We want knowledge. And God says, I never told you I'd give you knowledge. My knowledge is too high for you. Some of you came here this morning because you need to know. You think you need to know. You're here this morning listening thinking, God, if I just knew why. If I just knew why. God, if you just tell me how. God, it. Some of you are here thinking, right now you're going, God, I, I know, but if you'll just tell me when. If you just let me know when. And see, what we're seeking is knowledge. And if that knowledge would make us like God, we want to eat from the tree of knowledge. Thinking that by that knowledge we'll be like God and we'll have no need. And God says, I don't want to give you knowledge. I want to give you wisdom. And the wisdom says, trust me even without knowing. See, our knowledge is limited by our best effort and understanding because it's limited, it's finite. We're trapped in a specific time in a specific place. But God's knowledge is unlimited. But knowing God is omniscient should allow us to trust him and his will and his word and his timing. Because though we don't have answers, we know God does. See, the problem with our knowledge is that it's incomplete. After years of study and observation, science is still discovering new intricacies and attributes of the human body and depths of the ocean and vastness of the stars. We still haven't got it figured out. Psalm 147.4 says, he, God determines the number of stars and calls them each by name. Now, that wouldn't be a problem to call the stars each by name, but there's like four or five of them. A study in Australia uh, recently suggested that the number of stars that we can see is 70,000 million, million, million stars we can see. If you don't know how big that is, that's seven, zero, 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 zero. Zero, zero, zero. <laughs> That's a lot of stars. And the fact that he put them there and then named them all. This is amazing. Now, here's the deal. It says gave them each a name. So he didn't name them twice. Like the same name two or three times. They each have an individual different name. And I don't think God is so small that he would call one Robert and one Bob. Because it's the same name. Their suggestion is there's more stars in the sky than grains of sand on every beach and every desert in the world. And he's named them all. See, our knowledge is missing and partial. His is complete. It's amazing. And though we cannot trust our knowledge or understanding, we can trust God. 
God knows what you will say before the word is even on your tongue. So we can pray confidently as Jesus taught us to, our Father in heaven, your kingdom come, your will be done. Because you know. And let me tell you why this omniscient thing is so difficult for us. And let me tell you why seeking knowledge rather than wisdom is so dangerous. Because it's only without knowledge that you'll have peace. Just let that sink in. It's only without knowledge that you'll have peace. See, here's our problem. We want to know when God, when God, when God, why God, let me know what you're doing. Let me know when you're going to show up. Let me know when this is going to pass. Let me know when you're going to crash. So as we think that if we know, we'll be at peace. But what's the Bible say? The Bible says the peace of God, which transcends your understanding and knowledge, well, guard your heart and mind. So he says, if I gave you knowledge, you would miss peace. Because if I gave you knowledge, you'd have even more questions. Understand? That's why so many people come to church wanting to know, wanting to know, wanting to know. And they walk out and miss the peace of God. Because what they miss is not just the peace of God. They miss God, the omniscient one himself. Did you realize that you will not have peace if you have knowledge? You know the all, the, the, that idea that ignorance is bliss? It's more true than you realize. So here's the thing. If you trust God because you know, is that really trust? If you trust God without knowing, that is peace. Here's the thing, we can't know everything we'd want to know. You know how I know that? Because we don't even know ourselves. I mean, think about it. Paul says, I do not understand what I do. Have you been there? <laughs> do you ever have one of those awful moments like, ah, what? That wasn't me. Like, I'm better than that, right? Paul says, I don't understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. We don't understand ourselves. God knows every minute detail. The Bible says in the writer, of one, uh, Psalm 139 says, my frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were already written in your book before one of them came to be. God knows. This ought to be one of the most comforting things that you can ever realize. When you realize he knows. Right? If omniscience is comforting at some level, at a deeper level, I'll scare you to death. You ought to be scared to death of God's omniscience. Do you want to know why you should be scared? Think about it. Look what the Bible says. God says, my eyes are on all their ways. Their ways aren't hidden from me, nor is their sin concealed from my eyes. God looks at you and he says, oh, I know. I know what you did last summer. <laughs> the Bible says, 
For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even in dividing soul, soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the hearts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation, not even you, are hidden from God's sight. Everything and everything about you is laid bare and uncovered before his eyes of the, the one to whom we must give an account. Let that sink in. Everything you've done, everything you've thought, everything you've said, every desire you've had, everything that in your world you think, oh God, let nobody find that out. Oh God, keep that stuff hidden. Oh God, please let them not know all of that stuff. God not only knows, but we're going to give an account to it before him. That ought to scare you to death. He knows. But it's crucial that we have a scary, omniscient God. And here's why this is so important. God, before you ever were born or made a decision, foresaw all of your sin and all of your ugliness and all of your depravity, yet in love chose you to be part of his family. And loved you so much that he had his son come to earth to die in your stead. I mean, this is amazing to me. Like, he knows it all. But Ephesians 4, 1, 4 says, He chose us in Christ before the creation of the world. He knew ahead of time. And yet he still said, I cult and I gotta have him. He knew ahead of time and he said, Jeff, he's, I'm going to choose that guy. He knew ahead of time and said, even Phil, I'm going to choose Phil too. And God demonstrates his own love for us in this while we were still sinners. Christ died for us. See, here's what we have to understand about God's omniscience. He knows all. And even though he knows all, he's, and because he knows all, he's not surprised. And even because he's not surprised, he's not disappointed. Do you understand? Because God knows all about you and about everything you will do, he's not surprised by what you do. And because he's not surprised by what, he's not disappointed in you. Now here's the deal. We can grieve his heart, but not disappoint him. So we need God to be omniscient. Because then he chose us by accident. And we fooled him. So much more profound. And he knows us and chooses us. God proves his love for us in the fact that he knows us fully and chooses to love us regardless. See, everything God does has a purposeful and pointed goal for us to know and be with him. The best thing you can do, the best thing you can, not a good thing, not a decent thing, not something to shoot, but the best thing you can do is realize how much God loves you. See, God knows everything at once. And God knew before the creation of the world that he would send his son to die for us. See, the birth, death, and resurrection of Jesus was not by chance. 
the birth, death, and resurrection of Jesus was the result of God's divine plan before the creation of the world so we could have a way of being right with him in a relationship. Because God knew. Let me tell you this. God's love for me determines God's response to the knowledge God has of me. See, it's one thing to think that God knows the deep nastiness of your life and for him to respond to you based on what you've done. It's a whole other thing to realize that God knows the deep nastiness of your life and choose to respond to you according to his love. With which he loved you even knowing that you were going to. See, the Bible says that if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us and purify us from all unrighteousness. God knew ahead of time who you and I would be and what you and I would do. And knowing that ahead of time, and not interrupting our free will and allowing us to do what we've done and be who we've become. Ahead of time, knowing all of that, chose to send his son to die on the cross so our penalty for what we've done and who we've become could be paid by Jesus, not by us. And the only thing that avails us of that relationship is the confession of our sins. And when we come to God and say, God, I'm sorry. Thank you that you loved me enough to die for me knowing what I'd do and who I'd be. We enter into a relationship with him when we do that. And once that relationship is in place, the future is secure. Now imagine this all-powerful God, this all-present God, this all-knowing God is for us. This all-powerful God, this all-present God, this all-knowing God could be against us, but he's chosen to be for us. Imagine. Imagine this all-powerful, all-present, all-knowing God has good plans for us, not for harm and for difficulty, but for a future and a hope. This God, who works all things together for the good of those who love and are called according to his purpose, this God, when others intend stuff for evil, he turns around for God, this God, who turns our mourning into dancing, this God, the all-powerful, all-present, all-knowing God, is with us and for us. Imagine this God. <laughs> Christ followers ought to be the most secure, the most confident of the people, the most peace that the world has ever seen because of this God. Imagine just imagine if we actually took advantage of a relationship with this incredible God. Imagine if we actually believe this stuff. <laughs> could, you, could you imagine? Could you imagine? What if we believe this? I don't know if that makes anybody else chuckle, but it makes me chuckle. Like, could you imagine actually believing 
And living like we believe this all-powerful, all-present, all-knowing God is for me, not against me. This is who God is. And he is incredible. And his attributes are astounding. And this kind of God, if we believe this, if we knew this, if we trusted this, we would follow this God anywhere. Because if he be for me, who can be against me? No weapon formed against me will stand with this God. If I believe that, I will follow him anywhere. And so will you if you believe this God. You understand? Father, thank you. Thank you that you love us and you chose us before the beginning of the world. Knowing who, what we do, knowing who we'd become, you chose to love us anyway. Thank you. Thank you that my sin doesn't surprise you. Thank you that our sin doesn't surprise you, that you knew it ahead of time and chose to die for us anyway. In the quietness of this moment, I'm going to encourage you right now to come in line with this God who knows you and loves you anyway. Take this opportunity to say, God, thank you that you love me. I admit I've messed up a lot. I admit I've messed up by thinking I've not messed up. Forgive me my sin. I want to know you more. Come into my life. Make me different. I want to be different. God, you make it so easy for us to love you. God, you are so good and you are so kind. God, you bring joy into our life, not because of what we know, but because of who we trust. Give us the peace that passes our understanding. Give us the peace that passes our knowledge. God, without knowing, we trust you. God, without knowing, we love you. God, without knowledge, we're choosing to be yours. Amen. Amen. We're going to invite you to stand as we respond.